Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. Russia's invasion of Ukraine may be one of those seminal events that will divide our future histories. That's obviously true for the combatants, but other countries and other peoples will almost certainly be profoundly changed by this war, regardless of how it ends. Consider the small country of Georgia. Less than 4 million people, located at the eastern end of the Black Sea, sharing an almost 900-kilometer border with Russia. Liberated by the collapse of the Soviet Union and, like Ukraine and Moldova, demonstrating strong desire to escape its history and geography to pursue a future as an integral part of Europe and the West. Unfortunately, neither neighboring Russia, which several years ago seized and still holds 20% of Georgian territory, nor the governing political party, Georgia Dream, seem to share that aspiration. What happens next? Another hotspot that could lead to another war? Or a country that could lever the deep support that Ukraine has elicited to secure its own future as a Western democracy. My guest today has strong views on what should happen. Nino Evgenidza, Executive Director of the Economic Policy Research Center in Tbilisi, Georgia, deeply believes that her country's future lies in democracy and the West. Welcome, Nino. Thank you so much, Alan, having me. Thanks a lot for this opportunity to speak with a wide range of audience. Let's start with what is certainly an undiplomatic question. Do you think that somehow the Russian war on Ukraine might actually benefit Georgia by rallying support for the country and its aspirations in the West? Uh, No, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Because uh, uh, Georgia was uh, like the first uh, victim of the Russia invasion and uh, all these horrible wars, what is going and how they are bullying their neighbors. Uh, not only in 2008, but early 90s, when the like you know the Soviet Union was just break up, Georgia was a, like a first victim of this war. And in 1992, there was like you know the first uh, um, ethnic cleaning uh, of the Georgians, and 10,000 people were killed, and uh, 500,000 people were kicked out from their own territories in Abkhazia. You know, and at that time, unfortunately. World was not like you know the interested in this part of the world, uh, unfortunately. And even if you look to the you know the go to the back to the history and follow how this was like you know the developing from the Russia side, even in two thousand eight, you know there was not adequate response from the world uh, when uh, Russia invaded the Georgia and. Uh, for our uh, listeners, you know, it took the 13 years of the European Court of Human Rights and just recently last year was like, you know, the um, uh, statement made that the uh, war in 2008 was started by Russians because this issue still was like, you know, the uh, issue of the discussions. Did we provoke Russia or not? And, you know, even the foreign Western leaders, they were repeating all this time and some kind of bullying Georgia that we provoked this greatest Russia to start this war, you know. 
And uh, unfortunately, I mean, uh, uh, world cannot stop uh, Russia in 2008, but I strongly believe that nowadays it's everyone's responsibility and duty to stop them into uh, Ukraine. So the obvious question is, why is the West responding now in the Ukraine case? but didn't respond to Georgia and Moldova and other countries? I don't know. It's, it was some kind of like, you know, the romanticization after the breakdown of the Soviet Union, some kind of all Western, like, you know, the intellectuals and the leaders, they were believing that the one day Russia also will be a, like a democratic, uh, democratic country. Uh, but unfortunately, it does not happen like this because they are imperialistic, like, you know, mindset doesn't work works like this, you know, unfortunately. And you mentioned that the, uh, it was a breakdown of the Soviet Union 30 years ago, but the Georgia was under the Russian occupation for two centuries, you know, uh, since 1801. We were like, you know, they occupied by the Russian Tsarist and then, then it changed that uh, Georgia was uh, for three years, the independent republic from 1918 to 1921. And uh, we were in 1921 again occupied by Russian communists at that time. And um, unfortunately, you know, the world changed because the a war is going right now, and the Georgians were alarming. And together with the Georgians, also all Eastern European countries like Baltics, uh, Poland, uh, who were all the time, like you know, the uh, experienced this uh, occupation and the Russian imperialistic, like you know, the uh, bullying, all this, uh, all the history. And we were warning the, the world that one day it's going to be a knock at your door, you know, and we were warning to the Ukrainians that the next is going to be you guys, because for the Russia, you know, having this um, like a influence, uh, the, having this iron curtain on the Black Sea, it's a strategical, like, you know, the, their, their strategy, geopolitical strategy. They don't want anyone to uh, to succeed in their neighborhood. Because in 2008, why they attacked the Georgia? Because at that time, Georgia was a number one country, uh, like uh, fighting against the corruption. There was a tremendous uh, reforms were done in the country. We were performing so well, and it was like a two-digit economic growth. And the all institutions started the like you know the modernization and the, the like development. And uh, Russia realized that they don't want to anyone to see as a democratic country their neighborhood because one day the Russian society also will demand that they they want to live somewhere in a nice place like you know and uh, um, why they were so like uh, getting so painfully uh, the uh, Rose Revolution which happened in Georgia at that time in 2003 and then it followed by the Orange Revolution in Ukraine you know that they were uh, getting it as, as a like a national threat for them, because if the Georgia and Ukraine is going to succeed in this uh, fight for freedom and democracy, it means that one day Russia also will be get out from this authoritarian or dictatorship regimes. And it was a main reason why they're also attacking uh, attacking the country's freedom fighters like the Ukraine and Georgia and Moldova and some other like neighbors, uh, because they don't want to see anyone uh, in a democratic past. 
But certainly the big surprise of this chapter is how strongly the West has responded to the invasion of Ukraine. It's pretty clear Mr. Putin was surprised. I think most people were surprised. Put aside how the war ends, when it ends, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but nevertheless, the response of the West is different this time. Um, it is muscular. Uh, it may not be muscular enough. That's a different issue, but it is different. So do you expect that same muscular response in the Ukrainian case to extend to your country, to Georgia? Yes, I, I'm. I'm pretty sure the situation is very different right now, uh, because you know that the, uh, this uh, transatlantic unit between the United States and the Europe, you know, it's very crucial for keeping Europe uh, all in free and at peace, you know, and all this idea to keeping this unity and the solidarity to each other, it's still alive and it's uh, it's uh, needs to strengthening more. And the war in Ukraine, uh, again, like, you know, underlines this, uh, uh, the how the West is united right now. It's really very promising. And I have to, like, you know, acknowledge and to, uh, to really be very thankful and grateful for the United States, because they are the main player on this regard to keeping Europe together, because the uh, U.S. leadership on this regard to keep this unity together is a very important and the crucial one in my understanding. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, uh, from our perspective, it looks like uh, uh, this. And um, the assistance, uh, uh, what they're providing for the Ukrainians are tremendous. And uh, it also somehow provoked the other European countries to, to increase their support, the military support and the financial support uh, for the Ukrainians. Because, um, I mean, war in Ukraine, it's not the Ukrainians' war. You know, it's uh, they're fighting for, uh, for all of us. I strongly believe in this because this fight is for freedom and democracy. And I'm pretty sure with, uh, with, uh, with the unity, uh, we can crack down this Russian imperialism and stop them into... So my question is about Georgia and what you expect, if anything, from the West in terms of Georgia's own pursuit of its potential democratic future, democratic future in the West in particular. Because the Georgia itself, the country and the people always were the pro-European pro and the pro-Western. Uh, you cannot find anyone like a you know that for decades, for at least like if you look to the last 30 year history, that and every year polls, you know, shows that the 89, more than 89% of the Georgian uh, population, they want to be a part of the European Union and they want to be a part of the NATO, you know. And the Georgians itself, they contributed a lot for the uh, world uh, security because the Georgian uh, represent the army and the military representatives, they were defending uh, and uh, fighting against the terrorism uh, together with the, the, our strategic partners uh, in Iraq and the Afghanistan. And uh, I think that the Georgians sacrificed a lot for this world, like, you know, the security on this uh, issue. And I'm pretty sure that the Georgia is uh, bigger than the little tiny Georgia, you know, and it's important to um, uh, to 
uh, having this island of democracy uh, very close uh, to the Russia and not only to the Russia. We are like, you know, the island in a sea of the authoritarians. If you look to our, like, you know, the to, to our neighbors, yeah. What you're arguing, and I, I accept the argument, is why the West should be supportive. What I'm asking is, what do you want from the West? Yeah, I mean, you know, when when we're asking for a, this kind of help or support, uh, it doesn't mean that we're asking the West to come to Georgia and fight for our freedom in, on behalf of us or instead of us. It's not like this, you know, but uh, what we are facing right now that uh, the Georgian society is fighting against the um, corruption and oligarchy and the kleptocracy because unfortunately our country is captured by the Russian oligarch Bidzina Ivanishvili, uh, who controls all like you know the institutions in the country. And we ask the West to support on this regard. We're going to fight inside of the country to strengthen in the democratic institutions. But unfortunately, as you know, that this kind of Russian oligarchs, they keep their money in the West, Western financial institutions. And uh, our when we when we are talking about the support, this support means that to put more sanctions against the Russian oligarch, Pizinia Ivanishvili, uh, the personal sanctions, not sanctions against the country, uh, because the Georgian people do not deserve this, you know and the uh, sanctions against the Bidzina Ivanishvili, who is undermining the Georgian democracy and in the, during the war in Ukraine, he is supporting the Putin and uh, their regime to avoid the, the sanctions. And I don't know if you uh, heard like uh, it's, uh, recently, there was a statement uh, from the uh, State Department, very high official Jim O'Brien, that he named the like you know he listed the five countries who are uh, who are uh, helping the Russians to avoid the sanctions and also getting the uh, getting the uh, like you know the microchips and some other kind of stuff, which is very important for the Russian military to to. Uh, rehabilitate and reconstruct their their you know the Su-25 then bomb shells and some other stuff, uh, which we think that the one of the main reason to get sanctions against the Bidzina Ivanishvili because it will help the Georgian civil society and the Georgian public to get out from the Russian oligarch who is controls everything in our country and everything is under his control. I understand that, but we're almost a year and a half into this war, and the only sanctions thus far from the U.S. has been aimed at four judges. Yeah. So there haven't been the kind of sanctions, either the personal sanctions, nor the kind of sanctions that Mr. O'Brien was talking about, which are not personal sanctions necessarily, yeah. but aimed at the country. So you would like to see the U.S. in particular sanction the leadership. Um, anything else? And also to support the uh, support the like uh, democratic uh, players inside of the country, uh, because it's very important. Uh, like you know, big, these people need really support. And as you are aware, the uh, one of the head of the Georgian independent media, like you know, the head, he's sitting in a jail for nothing. And uh, all uh, human rights international organizations recognize him as a so kind of like a political prisoner, and he's a 
his case is a politically motivated case. And uh, we need their support in terms of the pushing the Georgian government uh, because it's uh, definitely against of the free speech and the freedom of expression. And uh, again, we're in a democratic backsliding, but unfortunately, some of the instruments uh, which can make this regime, like uh, weaken this regime, is a hand of the, our Western partners and namely with the United States and the European Union. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. Georgia has imported Western forms of democracy. You have elections. Um, the current government, Georgia Dream, was elected not with a majority, but with enough of, enough of a victory that it could organize the parliament. Uh, we have similar cases in other countries where the, demo- the forms of democracy produce an outcome that isn't necessarily democratic. Uh, and I think the West is a bit confounded as to what to do. You have the Turkish case. Um, you have a number of other countries around the world where uh, people who certainly don't pass muster as Democrats end up leading countries through an electoral process. That by way of introduction, because Georgia has another election next year, your system is not designed, neither is the West designed to protect minority voters. It isn't a consensus system. It's a winner-take-all system in practice. How would you change the structures of Georgia politics uh, so that if you lose, you're still in the game? You know, if you are aware, the European Union, when uh, they uh, granted the Moldova and Ukraine with this, uh, like, you know, the uh, European Union candidacy status, uh, they did not grant it to Georgia on this stage, and there were produced the 12 recommendations, uh, which should be done by the Georgian government before the elections, you know, and all these 12 plans uh, includes the very, how to say, systematic reforms. Uh, without um, uh, implementing these reforms, you will never, ever get any changes in this country, you know, I mean, and why the current Georgian uh, dream government is so resistant to implement these reforms, because if they're going to implement these reforms, it automatically means that they are losing the next election, you know, because uh, everything, how they keep this power last like a few years is all about their reading the elections, falsificating, uh, like uh, having the surveillance against the like all political party leaders and the civil society organizations and all like you know the stakeholders who are involved in the election process or you know the staff and um, also this like a uh, latest polls shows that they they like uh, totally lose the you know the supporters and the war in Ukraine after the war in Ukraine they cannot play in this like a gray zone anymore to be blunt, to, to be to be clear on this regard because the, before they were with the, using this kind of like a uh, you know the 
disinformation or the propaganda stuff. They were saying that we are pro-Europeans, but after the war in Ukraine, I think from the Russians, they got the instruction that they have to uh, like, you know, the, take a side, very clear side. Are they on the Russian side? And unfortunately, after that, they've lost their supporters. If it's going to be an election right now, I don't know how they're going to succeed. Because, I mean, uh, why this Georgian society there every single month they're protesting uh, against this kind of like, you know, the uh, steps uh, and backsliding from the, uh, from the current Georgian government? because. Uh, we want to change them by the elections, you know, not on the uh, like a violent way, but with the democratic, very peaceful, uh, like, you know, the democratic ways to to uh, to continue our like, you know, the democratic development, because we have the experience in 2012, we peacefully changed the previous government by election, you know, and they've lost the elections, by the way, with the same proportion as um, Georgian dream government lost last election, but they didn't left the power. You know, this is a main problem because of the Russian oligarchy. And when you were talking about the, uh, about the, like, you know, the parallels with uh, Turkey or some other authoritarian countries, I strongly believe that the Georgia is a different case because it's driven by Russian money, which is comes from outside of the country, you know, Otherwise, it's not the internal internal issue. Just for the record, the government of Georgia claims that they are 80% along in implementing those 12 planks of, of transformation. It was just recently last week that there was a hearing of the at European Parliament uh, about the Georgian progress. And there were the several like European members of the parliament, like from Estonia and some other countries, they were saying that they uh, were not implementing these plans at all. It's all about all like, you know, the uh, unfortunately, you know, ju just to like, you know, we're, we're not implementing this plan as a country. And the Georgian dream government is not doing anything to get this candidacy status for, for, for the country. Uh, I strongly believe that they are uh, deliberately sabotaging their own country not to get the candidacy status. Otherwise, uh, I mean, I don't have any other, like, you know, um, opinion on this regard, why they're doing this, whatever they are doing right now, to taking this future from the Georgian people to be a part of the European Union and the NATO. So would you oppose the EU granting candidate status before the 2024 election? Uh, I strongly believe that they have to, uh, they have to granting the Georgia uh, with the candidacy status, but in a parallel regime, they have to impose the sanctions against the uh, Russian oligarch, Bidzina Ivanishvili and the current Georgian government representatives to weakening their power before the election 2024. What if they only do the former? What if they only recognize the candidacy status? What will be the consequence for your politics, do you think? You know, there is a, like a different opinions on this regard. Some people is going to say that it's going to be strengthening the Georgian dream government again. But um, I, I I, I can say that there is a rationale on this position, you know, that uh, uh, 
uh, they, it's going to be another like uh, Hungary or, you know, that uh, maybe we're going to get another urban style like a uh, country or something like this. But um, uh, I believe in Georgian people and Georgian society, you know, and uh, also uh, uh, the being Europe in Georgia, it's going to be... Uh, anyway squeezing their their authoritarian power into the country uh, because um, I, I, I can say that it's going to be an additional uh, strength uh, giving the strength to the Georgian uh, civil society and the political parties inside of the country uh, to do more on this regard to get out from the uh, from this uh, current Russian oligarchy, what we have right now. Let's go back to the impact, the direct impact of the war. There have been reports of hundreds of thousands of Russian, I'm going to call them draft dodgers, which is what they seem to be, uh, seeking refuge in Georgia. I've heard that some Georgians are skeptical of these refugees, and maybe should be so-called refugees, but that's going to be my question. Thank you so much for this question, because I mean, Unfortunately, you know that uh, what we are facing right now, the, uh, we have uh, some kind of like a more than 300,000 Russians right now who are living in the country. And then uh, with the, according with the uh, uh, official statistical data in September, 1,200,000 Russians crossed the Georgia-Russia border. Uh, and... Uh, uh, currently, we have a, like a, you know the uh, the Georgian statistic uh, inform like a statistic um, uh, uh, do not publishing anymore the official data as how many Russians we have, but uh, there is with some different data who are saying that there are three hundred thousands, uh, and uh, I strongly believe that uh, it's kind of like you know the threat for the Georgian national security. Uh, because uh, uh, what the Georgian government is doing, they're not allowing the, for example, anti-Putinist Russians to enter to the country. You know, how the ordinary uh, Georgian, like, you know, the custom officer knows to uh, who is, the, I don't know, one or another guy, you know, because they're just declining and not allowing all this Russian like uh, dissidents to enter to the country. Uh, and I strongly believe that they have some kind of information from the Russia's like uh, security uh, services. Otherwise, um, how they can differentiating these people from each other. And uh, unfortunately, the people who are staying in Georgia and uh, uh, they're if you ask them, and there are several, like, you know, the TV shows asking randomly in the streets that you know that the Georgia is occupied and the war is going Russia. And all these people, most like, you know, the majority of these Russians, they're supporting the Vladimir Putin. You know, they just, they, unfortunately, they, they don't want to be like, you know, fighting. Otherwise, if some Buryatians or Chechens are fighting instead of them to get more territories of Georgia or Ukraine. They're very fine with that. So what is the cost to your country? 300,000 people in a country of less than 4 million is a lot of people. A lot of people, yeah. 
Uh, is it a drag on the economy? Are they working? Are they taking jobs from uh, Georgians? Are they bringing money with them, on the other hand? Uh, so I guess that's the, the larger question, the impact not just of that Russian diaspora, whatever the motivation, yeah. uh, but the impact of the war on Georgia, on ordinary Georgian citizens. You know, I mean, there is a speculation and especially the Georgian government representatives and the prime minister of Georgia is very proud that we have like a two digit economic growth and money is coming to country and all those kind of things, you know, but I'm an economist, you know, and if you look to the structure, how how it operates, you know, I mean, uh, unfortunately, Georgian economy since 2006 never been relied on the Russia so, so much. And, uh, you know, that uh, after the war in Ukraine started the uh, export import turnover, like uh, tripled with the Russia. And, uh, you know, uh, we are a very small country. And before we know that we have only this kind of very uh, small amount of the products, what we can export into the Russia. But now we are exporting this kind of like, you know, the I don't know, like a washing machines or something like this, which later Russians are using for their military purposes, you know. And uh, uh, unfortunately, you know that they, they are not bringing the investment to the country. Uh, I mean, uh, they're not creating the new jobs. Uh, and our economy, if you look to the structure, it's based on consumption. But is this based on consumption? is based with the Russians are consumptioning like goods and products in Georgia. We kind of like a, some kind of like, a, you know, the Russian you, kind of money laundering hub or some kind of Russian, Russian money, like, you know, the moving uh, hub in this, uh, in this region. Because uh, if you look to the, uh, the, uh, picture how the Georgian society and the, how the Georgian economy is uh, uh, like uh, reacting on this. There is a in a last quarter was a um, investment like a decrease by fifteen percent, and uh, you know the two hundred thousand Georgians left the country because they think there is no any more opportunity to in this country. You know they left to the European or, or United States, and also the. Uh, uh, unemployment, unemployment, uh, like a rate went up, and uh, we have uh, like uh, uh, eight hundred thousand people who are getting the and who are under the poverty line and getting the social assistance. You know, and how where the Georgian people are benefiting from this? We're not benefiting from this. Where our situation is getting worse and worse. You know, because it looks like that we're paying the taxes. Russians being in Georgia, you know, because they have, uh, like, you know, the economically, uh, the Russians are more, uh, like, uh, wealthier than the Georgians, and they can, they're bringing the money, and especially the cash, you know, and uh, with this cash, because of that, the inflation rate is very high, and for the Georgians, all prices on the goods and the products increased, and for Russians, it's fine, you know, but for us, it's uh, for us, it's uh, like, you know, devastating. And this is a situation we are right now and all our economy and all sectors of our economy now totally dependent on Russia. It's kind of like, you know, a very bad situation we are right now. I mean, this is kind of like a fight for this uh, 
uh, for for our freedom. And uh, I think that the, uh, for the West to having Georgia on their side is very important because uh, Georgians were always uh, being the like you know the freedom fighters and society was always like you know uh, supporting the West and most pro pro American society in this region I, I strongly believe that you cannot find anyone else like us. Let me end with what is probably going to be a provocative question, which is this. There's a school of thought among analysts that when all is said and done, the war might end in a cold peace. That is to say, uh, Ukraine does not recapture all of its territory, Crimea in particular, uh, but it's fought to a standstill. If that's the case, and I'm not arguing it's good or bad, I'm just, it's, it, it's a question. If that's the consequence, what would be the impact on Georgia? You know, <laughs> I don't even consider this question or <laughs> I don't want even to look, like respond in if it's going to happen like this, because I strongly believe that the Ukraine will win this war. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be end of the Europe as well, because if Europe thinks and the West thinks that if Ukraine will lose this war or come up with this negotiation table with this frozen conflict, as we experienced here right now, then uh, unfortunately, the next is going to be the Baltic countries and then Poland and some other deeper and deeper and deeper Europe, which is going to be occupied, ruled and like, you know, annexed by the Russians. And I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen anytime sooner and Ukraine will win. And I'm pretty sure that uh, this victory is going to be a game changer. And also the like uh, this kind of giving more more motivation to all freedom fighters all around the world because uh, we can with this victory we can prove that the freedom is trivial and uh, uh, like you know the um, democracy and the freedom I I don't think that anyone can can change this like you know the paradigm because there is no other. Um, better system than the democracy. Uh, and I strongly believe on this. <laughs> and people people in Ukraine and uh, earlier in Georgia were dying for this freedom and democracy. And I strongly believe that we, we will win. Thank you very much for this conversation, Nino. We will see what we'll see in the future. And I look forward to having this conversation again with you. Yes, thank you so much having me and uh, till the victory and hope to see you soon. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation. <laughs>